Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. So, I, I mean, the thing I hope comes out of this is that when we get to that recovery stage, I'm concerned that everyone will be so focused on recovering mm-hmm. that they're not going to take the time to look back and go, what can we learn from this? You know, do a really hard look at what that meant for their, their risk systems, for their business. You know, what do we, you know, diversification of supply chain, diversification of, you know, functions within businesses, whatever it might be, that it'll be a real missed opportunity, in my opinion, if we only focus on the recovery once we get to that point and we don't take a chance to, to really learn from what has happened. Hi. My name is Kwame Slesher and I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And in this edition of the GRC Professional Podcast, I speak to Corey Davey, who is a partner at Control Risks for the Asia Pacific, about modeling global scenarios and planning for when we make it to the other side of the curve. I guess what I was really interested in is, you know, obviously I went to your risk um, event earlier this year and it was kind of funny, I guess, you had this whole presentation planned. And then, of course, with the coronavirus thing came around, most of it became about, I guess, the supply chain risk and business continuity risk and those kinds of things, um, you know, based yeah. on what we were seeing coming out of Asia. So I think China and predominantly Singapore, because that's where the presenters were, were based, I think, um, at the time. So I was just interested, um, looking at the microsite that uh, Ruba sent to me, um, particularly the one about global scenarios and COVID-19 plur- proliferation. I was just sort of interested in how that's impacted um, the way you guys are sort of modeling global scenarios. <laughs> well, and interestingly enough, we actually have changed those four scenarios yesterday. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, so we have, yeah, so, so hot off the process, <laughs> we have we were taking a look at it, and you'll remember, um, you know, the, the article on the microsite still has the, the kind of the first three scenarios were all about the scale of the spread of the pandemic, right? Yep. So one was a kind of quick recovery where it was mostly China, the other was a sort of seasonal epidemic, and the third was a uneven outbreak, and then finally we had the global pandemic. And we had been doing a lot of our assessment around those four pandemics, but over the last two weeks it's become very clear that we are well into this sort of global scenario. But the other thing we realized was that the way those scenarios were structured focused too much on the virus itself and how that spreads, whereas actually the disruption that we're seeing is not necessarily predicated on high numbers. So you look at Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, where you've seen massive operational disruption with relatively low numbers of confirmed cases. You know, Senegal shut down when they had nine cases, I think it was, that they had confirmed. And so we've now kind of swapped the lens of how we're viewing it and we're no longer viewing it through the lens of how the virus itself spreads because number one it is a global pandemic at this point and looking at case numbers in different different jurisdictions is going to be an increasingly um difficult metric because as we're seeing spread into emerging market economies where the health service is not necessarily geared up to be able to support the kind of widespread testing that that we've had here in Australia, for example. Um, We're just, you know, those numbers are not necessarily going to reflect the reality on the ground. But anyway, because the strong 
operational response has not necessarily been linked to a massive uptick in cases. We instead now are looking at it from this from a disruption and a recovery lens. So our first two sort of scenarios are either a seasonal disruption, which was already one of our scenarios really, and then a prolonged disruption, which is basically that global scenario. And we believe, um, looking at the triggers that we have created for these, that we are now sitting squarely in prolonged disruption. And that, you know, we are believing that, um, you know, we, you know, well through quarter three of 2020, we, and I'm talking calendar quarters here, we're going to continue to see serious logistical and operational disruption around the world because you've got movement of people suspended, um, you know, you've got movement of people suspended pretty much globally now. Yeah. Um, and then when, when suspensions are lifted, as we saw in China, you end up getting that kind of second wave coming in. So people might open their borders up and then they'll clamp them back down again. The, the same way China has done. And so it's going to be this sort of very prolonged disruption. And so we're, we're now seeing, and it's been interesting, the conversations I've been having with clients. I had this few weeks of very frantic conversations with companies as they wanted to, you know, I'm using air quotes here, stay ahead of the disruptions. And it's actually settled down a lot because everyone's just accepted we're kind of frozen yeah. you know everyone's just accepted we are we are where we are now so we're in this disrupted period and so now we're really turning our focus to those recovery scenarios and so our two recovery scenarios one are an uneven rebound where certain jurisdictions are able to recover quite quickly, either because there wasn't that much disruption to the economy already, or they were able to inject enough cash into the economy that when when things start up again, they're not coming from out as much of a hole. If you see what I mean, yeah. um, or we have a, a, or we, you know, the other scenario, the kind of optimist scenario, is a a global rebound where this is able to where we're able to bring it under control and then the restrictions relax globally and they they relax fairly um, cohesively globally so you don't find certain countries being isolated and the that allows for a kind of restarting of, of supply chains and so that that fourth scenario is the one that we're hoping for we're concerned we're going to get stuck in that uneven scenario where different different countries relax at different stages that makes supply chain still really glitchy because maybe Australia relaxes theirs but you know the key supply chain element in Southeast Asia doesn't or vice versa or whatever it might be so that's the way our thinking our thinking has has gone to that was a lot of talking all at once sorry about that (laughs) no that's absolutely fine and and that was really good Um, I think what was interesting is from sort of tracking the news, I get the impression that maybe things are easing a bit in, in China and maybe Singapore and possibly South Korea. So I, I guess initially, I guess the conversation was around the supply chain risk in those spaces. And now it looks like at least in those particular areas, things are changing. It's just in our own areas, our own jurisdictions like Australia, United States, that we're now seeing things sort of tighten up a bit. Um, is I guess where I'm going is what are some of the frequently asked questions that maybe generally speaking that your clients might have in terms of what they should be doing? So up until very recently, it was about how do we optimize supply chain? How do we optimize movement? How do we keep things, you know, people were still aiming for 
maybe 80% operational capacity or, you know, 75% operational capacity. But in the past week or two, I've seen a lot more acceptance of the idea that we need to pull back. Um, you know, we're not going to be able to get the goods where we need them to go. We're not going to be able to get the people where we need them to go. And so there's been, a, I think there's, there's, there seems to have been a general acceptance that this is no longer something that you can game out. Yeah. This is now something that you have to live through, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, I think that the question that everyone keeps on asking me, which is the unanswerable one, is when is this going to end? <laughs> um, and the reality is that, you know, God, give me my crystal ball and let me sort that one out for you. I mean, it's just, it, you know, the, this is what's making it such a complicated risk to manage is that there is no, there's no clear idea about when, you know, if, if, we, if we all knew we had to manage three months or two months or eight months, we'd all figure it out. Yeah. But because it's so fluid, it makes it significantly more complicated to, to, to strategically plan for. So one of the things you mentioned um, when we were addressing the sort of global scenario is that is that planning for recovery piece. And I guess even though without the crystal ball and even though we don't know when this is going to end, I guess it's still important to have that it's part of your planning. Um, is there a sense that organizations yeah. are getting this and they're doing setting themselves up for this? I think starting to now, I mean, we are still in a really acute phase and there's a lot of really shell-shocked crisis management teams and employees. And so there's a lot of conversation about it or awareness that they need to be planning for it right now. Yeah. But I think it'll be in the next weeks that this starts to really, you know, yesterday talking to a, a company and they said we're just starting to bring our strategic team into the conversations now you know up until now it has been real nuts and bolts how do we continue to function as an organization everyone is figuring that out now so now it's about bringing in the strategic teams you know adding in adding in that work stream into adding that work stream into the sort of wider crisis management business continuity work stream. Um, so I, I, I don't know of many companies who have been actively pursuing that yet, but certainly it's becoming a more common refrain that, oh, we need to start doing that and that it's recognized that planning needs to happen. And, and I guess for risk management teams and crisis management teams even, um, there's going pandemics might start to be a constant feature in their potential risks in the future. <laughs> the reality is what this has shown us is how difficult it was to adapt those old systems to this reality. I mean, so many companies I've been working with who had great business continuity plans and had all their business impact assessments done and, you know, they had all their gold, silver, bronze teams and it was all ready to go and that all fell out the window when they realized that this was everything all at once and they had to they had to kind of work, you know, rewrite their method of operation on the fly. Um, so I, I mean the thing I hope comes out of this is that when we get to that recovery stage I'm concerned that everyone will be so focused on recovering mm -hmm. that they're not going to take the time to look back and go what can we learn from this? You know, do a really hard look at what that meant for their their risk systems, for their business. You know, what do we, you know, diversification of supply chain, diversification of, you know, functions within businesses, whatever it might be, that it'll be a real missed opportunity, in my opinion, if 
we only focus on the recovery once we get to that point and we don't take a chance to, to really learn from what has happened. Right. And a final question. I mean, everyone is so focused on COVID-19 and I guess all the related risks that come with it. Um, are there any other risks that they should be paying attention to at this point in time that they're probably not looking at? Yeah, I mean, 100%, the, you know, back to the point about the, the sort of the way that COVID-19 can impact political and social risk in jurisdictions. I think it is now more than ever important to understand the jurisdictions you're operating in that may be slightly politically fragile and what that might mean for your long-term ability to operate there. Um, And also looking at law and order and how, um, how law and order may be impacted by the COVID-19. And so when you have law law enforcement that maybe already was weak, getting stretched by their requirements to enforce the COVID-19 lockdowns and the the public health and public safety issues, it allows for other criminal elements or other levels of instability to rise up. And you combine that with the possibility of social unrest, the possibility of, of political pressure on leaders who were considered not to have responded well or who maybe were disliked beforehand. And that is, a, you know, it's, it's very serious ambient risks that if you're only focused on COVID-19, you might miss the kind of wider pot boiling around you. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much, Corey. That was Corey Davey, Partner Control Risks for the Asia Pacific. If you want more information about the work that they've been doing, you can click on the link below. Until next time. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.